Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and or circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put... Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So far, the reading of the Word of God. Let's sing as we reflect on these things from Psalm 27, stanzas 2 and 2. Colossians 3, the second half of this letter. We're going to be slowing down a little bit. And our text that we want to focus on this morning is verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. It's only four verses. Let's read those again. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your, mind, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So far, our text. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, As you know, we've been working our way through this letter to the Colossians, remembering that this is a a special letter in in many respects, probably the last letter Paul ever wrote to a church, and the only uh, letter that Paul wrote to a church that he never actually visited. It's, It's a letter of instruction, encouragement to a church that he personally didn't have any stake in. It wasn't his church. 
And yet he saw himself as a servant of God wanting to bless that church. And in that way, it's a, it's a church for all times and places. Uh, just as Paul didn't know many of them personally, so he doesn't know us personally. And yet he writes for our benefit as well. Um, and we've seen the structure of this letter is essentially twofold. The first half of the letter, chapters 1 and 2, are highly theological. There's practical things in there, but the focus is highly theological. It's getting the truths of the gospel into our heads, into our hearts, so it becomes part of how we think. That's where we've been thus far. And now, as we get into chapter 3, chapter 3 delves into the very practical implications of all that we've learned in chapters 1 and 2. And, and so the shape of, that, of the letter has a lot to teach us. When, when we think about the shape of this letter, the, the truth about what Jesus has done, and then, therefore, this is how we ought to live, it teaches us a fundamental truth about Christianity itself. And it's this, the gospel of Jesus is life-transforming. The gospel of Jesus is life-transforming. When you know the gospel and accept it and embrace it as true, your life will be changed. Uh, Your life cannot stay the same. Uh, When you know who Christ is, you know what God has done for you through Christ, your life will not stay the same. Uh, So we want to recognize uh, right from the outset as we step into chapter 3, that the, the, the practical shape of the Christian life, the things we do, the things we talk about, uh, the things we're interested in, the practical shape of the Christian life is always a consequence and an outworking of the truths upon which the Christian life is built. Uh, it's about things, things that we know about Christ to be true that have consequences in how we live. Uh, and we need, we need to know this, and especially if there are any guests in our midst. I don't know if I can spot any uh, from up here uh, offhand. But if there are guests in our midst, uh, they need to know this as well. Uh, Christians do live differently. It, it's true. Christians do live differently as a result of their faith. At least genuine Christians do. But the difference is not because Christians are, are better than it, or, or stronger or more determined than anyone else. Uh, nor is the Christian life all about you know, trying to live up to a standard by which you qualify to be Christian. The essence of the Christian life is the, the knowledge of Christ and relationship with Christ that leads to a change in life. It's life that flows out of what we know to be true, and and who we know to be our Savior, uh, the Christian life flows out of that. It's not a prerequisite for it. So you don't live up to a certain standard and then get the rubber stamp from God that says, now you're a Christian. Uh, No, you become a Christian, and your life is changed as a result. Uh, So as we step into chapter 3, we're going to get a lot of practical exhortations, and and there's a right way and a wrong way to read this chapter. Uh, The wrong way would be to read these instructions and say, ah, okay, here Paul is telling me what I need to do to qualify as a Christian. Well, that's not where Paul 
is at. Uh, chapter 3 comes after chapters 1 and 2, obviously. Uh, and, and it's all about how to live out of the grace that's, that's written there in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, that's why I said in the very first sermon in this series that the more we invest in appreciating and understanding the heavy theological portions of this letter in chapters 1 and 2, uh, the more helpful, impactful, and, and life-transformational we will find the very practical sections to be. If we understand the, the-, the theology on which the Christian life is built, we will, we will live well in the practical outworkings. Or when you get, when you understand the massive significance of what Christ has done for you. Think back in chapter 1. Delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. Brought you into the kingdom of, of His Son. When you get that, that knowledge will change your life. And that's what chapter 3 is all about. And chapter 4 as well. So the big question is, if everything is true that we've learned in chapters 1 and 2, how will that now shape the way we live? That's what this chapter is all about. And so Paul starts in in chapter 3, verse 1, by simply remembering what's all come before. And and we do well to do the same. Uh, It's all there in in Colossians 3, verse 1. Uh, He says, If then you have been raised with Christ. That's his way of summarizing Everything that he's just said. Uh, So he's starting with this assumption that you've been raised with Christ. Uh, I think that's a direct reference back to chapter 2, verse 12. uh, That's there in the immediate context. Where he says, You were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, So there's a sense in which you have been brought out of death into life together with Christ. Uh, What he's saying is, if you belong to Christ, you have also undergone a sort of death and resurrection, just as Christ did. There's there's an old you that uh, that, that you once were apart from Christ that died. When Christ died on the cross, you united to Him. There's an old you that died there with Him. And there's a new person that has now come alive. Uh, the old you is the person you were by birth, by nature. The person that belongs to the mass of sinful humanity in opposition against God. Who, uh, and that is who all of us are by nature. Uh, by nature, you were born with a heart. This is uh, Colossians uh, 1 verse 21. A heart that was alienated from God, hostile to Him, and full of evil. That's true for every one of us. Uh, That's the heart we're born with. And that's where the entire human race is by nature. Alienated from God, hostile to God, and and hostile to one another, and and doing evil deeds. Again, that's chapter 1, verse 21. And we recognize uh, we're not Christians because we happen not to be those things. we recognize that is who we are, but for the grace of God. Uh, nobody's born with a heart uh, that loves God and is inclined towards obedience to God. Uh, people just aren't born that way. Uh, and we need to recognize that. So we're born hostile and we're born uh, spiritually dead. Uh, there's a, a deadness to the human soul 
before this human soul has come to know God in Christ. And so we can speak of an old nature. This is important for Christians who've been born and raised in the church. We can speak of an old nature that is who we were, uh, even if we were born and raised in the church. The old me is who I am by nature, who I would be still were it not for the grace of God. And I can say, I can say even if I can never remember that far back, even if it's uh, before, even if it's you know, before I was a toddler, I can say that's who I once was, and, and that's how I once lived, knowing that that is who I would be apart from Christ. Uh, every Christian has undergone a death and a resurrection. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ. And, and so that's, that's the death, but if we belong to Christ, there is also then a resurrection. We have a new identity, a new identity as people that belong to Jesus. The old you has passed away, it's no longer who you are, and now a new person has come into being because Christ has made you his own. There's a person now that belongs to Christ that used to not exist, but now does exist. Uh, He says it this way in in verse 13, uh, I believe of this chapter. Yes. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So you were dead, God has made you alive. And, And that's the amazing news of the gospel. It's the foundation for for all that is coming ahead of us. And this is what Paul's mission, you think of Paul as the missionary in prison, laboring for a cause. This is the cause that he was laboring for. This is why we we get so excited about the gospel every week. This is why we, we sing hymns and psalms with hearts full of praise, because this is the foundation of our very lives. Uh, As we saw in in chapter 1, this is the greatest imaginable news for our life. We were dead. We are now alive. We were lost. We are now found. We were part of a kingdom of darkness. We are now part of the kingdom of God's Son. This is the foundation of the Christian life. Uh, Again, that's uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, So, this massive change has taken place, and every Christian should live with the awareness that a massive change has taken place in their life. Uh, We are no longer citizens of the kingdom that we once used to belong to by nature, Uh, that massive humanity and rebellion and opposition to God. We're no longer citizens of that kingdom, but have been taken out of that, made to belong to Christ, and through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins and brand new life. So that's all of that is what Paul is talking about in that one phrase in, in chapter 3, verse 1, when he speaks of us having been raised with Christ. That old person we used to be is dead, and a new person has come into being. The old kingdom is gone. A new kingdom is now in existence. And that means then uh, that you have a new identity. This is going to be a big theme in the coming uh, several sermons. You have a new identity, a new future, a new hope, and a very new identity. You're a new person. Uh, You live by a new set 
of rules. Uh, So then the first question we want to ask ourselves as we step into this chapter, as we listen to that first verse, is have we been raised with Christ? Have you turned to Christ and found new life in Christ? Do you have an awareness of the person that you once were and still would be apart from Christ? Do you know the darkness that you were saved from? Uh, Do you know also what Christ did for you on the cross and what that means for your eternal life? Is your life then marked by resurrection or is is your life still marked by sin and hostility towards God? We have to ask ourselves these questions as we step into chapter 3. He says, if you have been raised with Christ then this now is your life. Uh, So we want to be thinking uh, about that. Have I been raised with Christ? Do I know Him? Is He now my life? All of that then is foundational for where we go from here. So we'll start again in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, here's His exhortation, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Now, these verses are are easy to misunderstand. Um, There are those who would think that that Paul is saying things that are here on earth, like this this wooden pulpit and the the food you eat for lunch and and the nice beaches that we we like to walk on when we're on vacation, those are all things of this earth. Uh, Forget about them and start thinking about, about heavenly realities. That is not Paul's point. He's not saying that the the literal physical things of this earth are somehow bad or or inferior. We want to think about the the immediate context here. What has Paul just been writing about? Uh, It was all these false religions, right? These cults, these mixtures of Judaism, Christianity, paganism, and, and other cults that obsessed over material things like what you can and cannot eat, what you can and cannot drink, what days in the calendar you need to observe, all in order to, to, to control these spiritual forces in the universe. Uh, the belief that by keeping all these external rituals, you will gain access to, to spiritual powers. And Paul is saying, in essence, don't waste your time with that. Uh, Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is, not on things that are on earth. It's not that the material, physical things of this earth are are in any way bad or, or inferior or evil in themselves. It's that, if I can say it strongly, they are irrelevant to your eternal hope. They are irrelevant to your eternal hope. And... Furthermore, to push the argument a step further, Paul is recognizing that behind these religions, this obsession with with literal food and drink and, and holy days, behind all of that and the belief that one gains access to spiritual forces through that, the whole system, the whole system is earthly. It's a system that belongs to fallen humanity bound up on this earth in opposition to the God who is in heaven. The whole system is an invention of fallen humanity, estranged from God, seeking to assert its control, its authority 
over God, trying to manipulate God or to manipulate uh, spiritual forces to its advantage. The whole system is earthly. And I believe that's what Paul is ultimately talking about when he says, uh, when he talks about the things that are above versus the things that are on earth. It's not just heavenly realities versus physical earthly realities, but it's, it's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of men. It's the, the system uh, under which God rules versus the system that man has created for himself. Another way to put it, and I really like this, the simple phrasing that the, another pastor used, uh, as Christians, we live kingdom down, not culture up. We live kingdom down, not culture up. Uh, we go from where our hope lies in Christ, in terms of what shapes our lives, right? We go from where our hope lies in Christ and the people that we will be with Christ for eternity and say, that's who we will be here on earth. Kingdom down. Uh, if that's what I'm going to be doing for eternity, then that's how I want to live already now. If for eternity I will be telling the truth, then I want to begin telling the truth now. If for eternity I will be worshiping God, I want to be worshiping God now. Uh, And you could say the same of all the things that are listed in these chapters. We we live kingdom down, not culture up. And and so you notice how Paul lumps together uh, earthly religion, the kind of thing you see in chapter 2, food, drink, holy days, all this, uh, this impressive system of religion. He, he lumps together earthly religion with earthly sin. He puts it all in the same basket. It says it doesn't matter whether you're religious or whether you're the most sinful uh, pagan on earth. It's all part of the same system if it's not in relationship with God. Uh, so clearly verse 2 talk, and verse 1, talking about the things that are of earth is a reference back to this this earthly religion that he's just been talking about. But if you jump ahead to verse 5, you look at the application Paul, Paul makes of it. Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. Same system. And he goes on to list all sorts of sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, anger, malice, slander. So he lumps all of that together with the same system. Uh, whether it's religion that seeks to control God, or whether it's sin that just lives in open opposition to God, it's still part of fallen humanity's way to ignore or overthrow God. Paul lumps it all together. Man-made religion and, and disgusting sinful lifestyles belong to the same package. It's all earthly. It's all the stuff of this earth. And all of it together is perishing. Uh, He says later in the chapter, it's on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. Again, to to reiterate the point, it is not that anything material is is by by virtue of that inferior. Uh, Paul is not anti-earth. He's not saying, uh, you know, stop thinking about things that are on earth altogether. Uh, He's not... He's not saying, you know, start getting your head up in the clouds. Go join the, the ascetics who spend their lives in the desert meditating on, on spiritual truths. That's not at all his point. Uh, there, there were Christians in the first centuries of Christianity that, that misunderstood this, this very important 
principle, and, and they did exactly that. They went off, lived in the desert, some of them on top of 30-foot poles, and they spent their entire lives sitting at the top, uh, meditating on Scripture, and, and being uh, on earth useless. Uh, they weren't any good. Uh, there's a, a, a saying that uh, there are some, some Christians that are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And that's a danger we want to avoid. That's not what Paul is, is teaching us. He's talking about all that belongs to the fallen, earthly, human kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of God. Uh, you think of, uh, there's other language in Scripture that speaks the same way. Uh, for example, the Apostle John in 1 John 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. You could easily misunderstand that and say, well, you know, uh, nice beaches are in the world, so I guess I can't love them. Uh, No, that's not his point. Uh, He defines exactly what he means when he talks about the things of the world. He says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Well, we know that God's beautiful creation is from the Father. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, he's, he's talking about the, the system of humanity in opposition to God. So Paul makes the same contrast. The kingdom below and the kingdom above. Uh, and, and what Paul is saying then is as Christians, we have been made part of a kingdom whose headquarters are in heaven. And we, we now forsake the kingdom whose headquarters are are on earth. Uh, even though our, our residence, and, and actually our eternal home as well, will be on earth, our identity is bound up with Christ, who is in heaven. And, and therefore, again, we live kingdom down, not culture up. The, the, the norms, the patterns by which we shape our lives come from the kingdom of God, not from the kingdoms of this world. Uh, so, so he says in, in verse 3, You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful phrase to say, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, what this means is, we no longer define ourselves by the people that we once used to be. When he's talking about your life, he's talking about your identity. Your identity is hidden or bound up together with Christ and is secure in the presence of God. Uh, uh, When he talks about it being hidden, it's hidden in the sense that uh, right now our our residence, again, is, is here on earth. And so it might look for all appearances like our identity is also bound up here on this earth. But he's saying things are not as they may appear. Our identity, our life, is actually there with Christ. And it's also hidden, also hidden in the sense that it's secure. Things that are hidden are also secure. And he's saying your identity is also secure there with Christ in the presence of God. Nothing can take that identity away. Your identity on earth can easily be shaken. Your identity in heaven cannot. And this is to a a profoundly beautiful truth and a a life-shaping truth for Christians. I will live by who I am in Christ, not by who I appear to be here on earth. 
It's, it's another one of those verses from Colossians that are worth memorizing and meditating on and taking to heart. If you've come to know Christ, then you know your life, your identity, your future are all bound up forever, permanently and unshakably with Him. Uh, and so we may say, who I am and the hope that I have will not be found here. It will be found with my Savior Christ. He's the one who took me out of that old kingdom, that old dominion of darkness, that, that hostility and alienation, again 1 verse 21, and brought me into His kingdom, and that now is who I am. I am a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. That's the, that's, if you ask me, who are you? That's the answer I give. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. That's where I begin. Uh, This is is also why we say, and our confessions uh, really emphasize this as well, that eternal life, like when we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the life everlasting. The the Heidelberg Catechism rightly uh, emphasizes that Eternal life is not just something that begins in the future at some point, you know, when Christ returns or when we die. Eternal life doesn't begin then. It's already begun now. Uh, Eternal life begins after we have died and been raised with Christ. It it begins already then. Uh, Because already now, you are a citizen of Christ's kingdom. It's not... You know, one day I will be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. It is already now. This is who I am. Uh, Some of it is still hidden. I haven't yet been raised bodily. I am not yet free uh, and perfect uh, from sin. Uh, But already now, I know the truth of who I am and who I will be forever. And, And already now, I have within myself the joy of knowing who I am and the power of God Uh, working within me, uh, making me more and more into who I am and who I will be forever. Already now I experience eternity in Christ. Already now I I have been raised. In the past I have been raised with Christ. So all of that, uh, these, these verses 1 through 4, are foundational for everything that comes later in, in this chapter. When you understand who you are in Christ then everything else in this chapter uh, makes perfect logical sense. If you don't understand that, then everything in this chapter is going to sound uh, like moralism, like uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Uh, Start living a better life in order to become Christians. That is not what Paul is saying, and it will not work. As long as you're still in the old kingdom, hostile to God, alienated from Him, you will never experience the transformation that Paul is talking about here. Uh, Moral self-improvement while being estranged from God does not work. It does not last. We will only change by knowing Christ and knowing who we are in Christ. That's the pattern for the Christian life that Paul sets forth here in this chapter. And so you can see already in verse 5, Paul is working from that foundation. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Again, we know what, is, what, what he means by that phrase. Those, those qualities that belong to the old kingdom. So Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. In the Greek, it's literally, make it dead. Um, since it's already dead, 
make sure that it's dead. Um, make it more and more every day a bit deader, um, as uh, to, to use the word coined in, in the emperor's new groove. Uh, we are getting deader in, in a good way. And if you follow, uh, if you follow the footnotes in, in, your, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with footnotes, you'll notice that in the Greek, uh, the literal rendering of what he says is, make dead your members or parts that are on the earth. Uh, so he's using this, this language of, of uh, body parts uh, in a metaphorical sense. Uh, we do a similar thing in English. Uh, we, we might say, you know, part of me wants to do this, but, you know, another part of me wants to do that. That's the sort of thing he's uh, referring to. Uh, what he's saying is, even if you have, even though you have a new life and a new identity in Christ, nonetheless, you will find, every Christian will find, there are parts of you that are still earthly that still belong to that old earthly kingdom. And so Paul is saying, since that's not who you are, since those parts of you are now foreign to your identity, you need to let them die. You need to make sure they're dead. Uh, Don't hold on to them. Don't coddle them. Don't nurture them. Cut them off. They're not who you are anymore. Uh, Next week, uh, we're going to focus on on those verses more specifically. Uh, And and I would say Paul uh, Paul focuses on what I would categorize as as four major areas of our lives. Our sexual lives, verses 5 to 6. Our emotional lives, uh, verse 8. Our relational lives, verse 9. And also our sense of identity, especially social identity, in in verse 11. All of these these parts of who we are, uh, some of which are are no longer truly who we are. Uh, All of these have to do with who we used to be, how we used to live before we knew Christ, and these things need to be put off. But this week, I want to just, before we get into the the nitty-gritty next week, I want to just take the time to take to heart the, 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 the fundamental teaching that Paul is presenting here because this is foundational for everything else that's, uh, that's coming. So again, be asking yourself in the first place, have I died and, and risen with Christ? Do I know who I used to be and how I used to live? Again, if there are guests in our midst, there's nothing more important than this question. Uh, there, there is new life new identity with Christ uh, that, uh, that, that can be found only in Christ. And that must be pursued first. Turn to Him. Come to know Him. And, and, for, and then for those of you who do know Him, be asking yourself, since I know Him, does the knowledge of who I am in Christ and the kingdom to which I now belong, does it shape the way that I live? Does it determine the practices of my daily life? Am I finding my identity in Christ and living by it, or am I living by a different identity? Uh, Be asking yourself then in in preparation for next week, are there parts of me, uh, and there are, uh, Paul's assuming there are, and every Christian knows there are, are there parts of me that still belong to the old person that I used to be? then they need to be cut off and they need to die. That is not who you'll be for eternity. That shouldn't be who you are now. Now, it's hard. It's hard 
to change. It's hard to let go of parts of who you are, uh, to use this, uh, this metaphor. Even though they're, they're sinful parts of who we are, it's hard to let them die, to let them pass away. Uh, the reality is that they're parts of who we've always been. Uh, some of them, uh, therefore, remain within us even after we come to know Christ. And so we have an instinctive identity to, to hold on to who we are, to, to hold on to our identity, to say, I don't want part of me to die. Uh, but brothers and sisters, you need to know they are no longer part of who you are. And that's why they need to die. That's not who you'll be for eternity. Therefore, they must, uh, those parts of you must uh, pass on. Uh, that's not who you are. That's not who you will be. And so that's not who you should be now. Uh, so the, the charge is this, in, a sense, in essence, become who you are. Become who you are. Your life is hidden with Christ, and it is a life that is so much better than the darkness and alienation that you once lived in. Uh, So begin living the life that is hidden with Christ. Now that can only ever happen by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who holds us to Christ, the one who secures that life that's hidden with Christ and brings it down into us. He's the one that gives us life, sustains that life, and also causes that life to grow. And so the charge, uh, as we prepare for the coming sermons, uh, the coming weeks as well, the charge is, seek the Holy Spirit who puts to death the old you and who brings to life the new you. Seek the Holy Spirit earnestly. Pursue Him. Pray for His work earnestly and often. Uh, The Catechism reminds us in in the Lord's Days on on prayer that God gives His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to make you into who you will be forever. Pray for the Holy Spirit to put to death the person that you will not be forever, those parts that still remain in you. Uh, seek Him, and seek Him in His Word, not just in prayer, but also in His Word, since that's the means that the Spirit is pleased to use. Dwell on these verses from Colossians. Dwell on uh, other parts of Scripture uh, as well. Seek the Holy Spirit in prayer, in His Word, and remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus, those who seek will find. Those who ask, it will be given to them. Those who knock, that door will be opened. Seek the Spirit, and you will find the power of the Spirit. Uh, So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the power of the Spirit to pursue the things that belong to the kingdom to which you already now belong, and He will enable you to live out of that truth already now. That's the promise that we have in Christ. That's the promise we want to hold on to as we go into the practical portions in the coming weeks. Amen. Let's sing in response to that gospel truth from Psalm 30, stanzas 1 through 5.